And welcome to Here We Stand. I'm your regular host, Kevin Annett, Eagle Strong Voice. It's July 24th. This is the voice of the Republic and the Resistance. And that, of course, was some of my ancestral music. The way my ancestors used to summon each other in times of crisis or war, pull out the bagpipes. And we are in a time of war, folks, forced upon us and yet arising from everything we've done over the last number of centuries. We are in the midst of a struggle that requires us to examine everything, starting with ourselves, our political surroundings, our spiritual life. And those three themes of the personal, the political, the spiritual run through everything we've been doing on this program for the last seven years. It's going to be part of the theme today because we're looking at some very important events. Walt Whitman, the poet of the American Civil War, one of the great spirits of the American Republic, said to all people in revolt, Till all else ceases, neither must you cease. There's too much at stake, folks. Today on the show, we're going to be looking at events in Canada, in China, in Saudi Arabia, in America, all over the world, putting it in the context of how the world is changing and what we need to do to fight back. Also, what changes have to happen within us and around us to make the dream of a free people come true, because it's only a dream right now. This program has been providing that alternative for seven years since January 2015 as part of the movement to establish the Republic, a movement that's now spanning the globe. And later in the show, I'm going to re read a short report to you from Holland, where our sister movement has just declared independence from the Dutch king and parliament and set up their own republic along the lines that we've done in Canada. And there was 38 of them there that day, signed a charter, declaring independence. And what's interesting is two police showed up and they started talking to them about what they were doing, two of their common law sheriffs. And as we found in Canada, there's a lot of sympathy among people in the system. They just don't see an alternative yet. And that's what we're building here in the show. Our movement came out of a previous 20-year campaign that by exposing genocide in Canada and around the world made us realize that as moral beings, we cannot be part of the system anymore with the blood of so many children on its hands, past, present, and future. And so now arising everywhere is that choice between a free people and the what we call the corporatocracy. Now, today in the show, we're going to be looking at events in the news. First of all, the new China-Vatican alliance. And of course, Jorge Bergoglio, that convicted war criminal, is now in Canada. He landed officially today in Edmonton. But of course, yesterday, he met with Chinese representatives in Prince Rupert just east of Prince Rupert, actually. And they signed an agreement whereby the Vatican Bank is now underwriting the Chinese expansion, especially into North America, to the tune of $700 billion. You can read up on this. It's something called the Belt and Road Initiative that the Chinese government is doing. They are basically taking over the infrastructure of the road and transportation network of two-thirds of the world's population. They need a lot of money to do it. Every year, they need to come up with about $900 billion to fund this takeover. You need the infrastructure in place if you're going to pump out all the natural resources, like with the liquid natural gas in northern British Columbia. And so the Vatican Bank is a chief ally of the Vatican in this. It's kind of interesting, historically, the way the Roman Empire morphed into the Vatican, which set the template for 2,000 years of the political and religious systems in the West. Now, the Vatican is morphing with China into something like you could call it the Omni Corporation, global super state that overwhelms governments, establishes a new power in the world. 
And that is our chief enemy, folks. As a matter of fact, they say to the American listeners, bury the differences, tear up those Republican and Democratic political cards and find a new alliance to keep out an invasive foreign power. China, which now owns one third of your debt and is funding both the Democrats and the Republicans to maintain a civil war against each other that rips the country apart while they buy up all the pieces. Now, it's starting, of course, to the north, in through the back door. Uh, part of the, uh, the agreement that Bergoglio signed, along with Pietro Perlin, the Vatican Secretary of State, who was present yesterday in Prince Rupert, and who's been pushing for this China alliance. Part of that agreement not only provides Vatican funding, but it's really a mutual defense agreement, whereby the China, for example, the Vatican has given the Chinese government, for the first time in history, it's allowed a government to appoint their own bishops. Six years ago, the Vatican allowed China to appoint all the Chinese Catholic bishops. And this is part of the agreement, the kind of merging together of these powers. It's why Joe Biden went over to Rome and fought all over the Pope and why he Biden was recently in Saudi Arabia. Because just last month, the Saudis agreed to have the Chinese buy all their oil in yuan, which is the Chinese currency. They shifted from the U.S. dollar over to the yuan. And Russia is doing the same thing in terms of its foreign uh, procurement. So the, the yuan, the Chinese currency, is really superseding the American dollar as the primary world currency. And that's going to spell disaster even more for the American economy. So, you know, this is all about oil. It's about big money, but it's also about power, the rising power in the world, China slash corporatocracy that's taken over. Now, the other item, of course, we mentioned that China was actually airlifting troops into northern BC. Well, that's not a new thing. They've been operating with tacit U.S. agreement and the Canadian agreement and joint military maneuvers in the North Pacific. They've got the informal agreement of America to station their troops in the southern Aleutian Islands. And of course, now they're, they airlifted new personnel into the area around Prince Rupert using the Pope-China um, meeting as an excuse. In fact, it's to support the fact that Prince Rupert is already a de facto Chinese port, as is the city of Vancouver. And it's part of the continuing encroachment on northern, the, the entire northern part of Canada, Canada, uh, to secure their hold there to bring in illegal immigrants and, and that whole process that's been going on for over 20 years in BC. So, you know, this is part of the unfolding, like what happens all over the world. The British did it and then the Americans and now China's playing the game, the great game. Now, the papal visit, which is going on this week, part of the, the cover for this Chinese agreement was that Bergoglio was going to show up and shed crocodile tears for all those native children they, that were killed for their own good by the Catholic Church. Um, what's interesting about his tour is that he only goes to three places, and he's not doing many public events there. And in one of the places he's going, of course, the last three hours of his trip before he exits Canada is to Nunavut, which is on Baffin Island. And there's not a lot up in Nunavut except ice flows and polar bears, except Nunavut sits on one quarter of the untapped oil reserves in Canada. And of course, it's part of his whole purpose in being here to grab those resources. Now, that hasn't sat lightly with Catholic bishops in Canada, because don't forget in the Vatican, there's two primary factions around the old Ratzinger faction, the old-time pro-Western cardinals, and the New World Order pro-China bishops around Bergoglio. And in fact, he doesn't even have a stable voting majority among the College of Cardinals, who are the real power behind the throne. So um, the, it's the, 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 uh, the majority of 
Canadian bishops actually are with Ratzinger, the old West pro-Western faction, and they've done everything possible to keep Bergoglio out of the country. That's why he, they canceled. He canceled his first ever uh, during um, you know the last time he tried to Canada, come to Canada. So there's that division. There's also because of the work we've been doing, notifying the native chiefs who are collaborating with Bergoglio that they can face prosecution and arrest for collaborating with a convicted war criminal like Bergoglio. There's a standing arrest warrant out against him. There's from the International Criminal Court of Justice, the near 15th verdict, which you can find at murderbydecree.com under ITCCS updates, January 15th. Just load, download all the warrants and everything from there and the court orders. Um, from that verdict, we've been telling the native chiefs, look, you guys can be convicted. Now, as on the basis of that, two of the uh, tribes in Alberta actually backed out from meeting with them. And a lot of the people, including the mayor of Nunavut, are kind of leery about having the guy come now. So this is the kind of driving of wedges between the, their differences that, that you know, our movement has been very successful at doing. That's one of the reasons that we forced Ratzinger out of office in um, February 2013. So that's some of the background of what, what we're going to be getting into today. And uh, really what's going on, as I mentioned, is the development of a new global society, the, um, the corporatocracy. Now people say, what is this thing you keep talking about? One of the books that I wrote, which is not being got, getting a lot of circulation as much as Murder by Decree and all the other books on common law and the Republic that I've written, it's unfortunate because this book lays out what's been going on in the world economy and system for the last 50 years or more. And it's a book called Memoirs of a Revolutionary. Chapter three talks about what happened in the 1990s. And I want to get into that a little bit. The latter part of the show, I'm going to get into the spiritual aspect of this. For example, it's no accident, I believe, that Bergoglio has, right in the middle of his name, the letters G-O-G. -G. Now, any of you who are up on the Bible know that Gog is mentioned several times, including in the book of Revelation. And Gog and Magog are worldly kings who are used by Satan to mislead and dupe the world into worshiping Satan. That's part of the prediction in the book of Revelation. Now, whether you believe that or not, the point is, it's hardly accidental that Jorge Bergoglio has that title because they're quite open about their murderous activities. When he was down in California last time he was in America, he beatified a guy who worked to death 100,000 native people on his Franciscan plantations, Junipero Serra. I mean, these folks are, all, are very open about the fact that anyone who isn't in their club doesn't have the right to live. Bergoglio said, we're inspired by his zeal. So is it any accident that the guy who is an open practitioner of mass violence and murder against non-Catholics would take that name? Whether or not you believe he's the Antichrist, actually, when you, when you read it, the, the understanding of that term Antichrist, it's not about an individual. The tradition within every non-Catholic Christian church until they were all bought off by Rome. Methodists, Anglicans, Baptists, they all believe the same thing. The Antichrist is a place. It describes the seven hills of Rome. And what they were referring to biblically and historically was the fact that in Rome is the source of the thing that overthrew Christianity, that the way that the Roman Empire absorbed Christianity into it and created Christendom or the Vatican or the Church of Rome. And that force is anti-Christ in the sense that it's against the teachings of Christ and against the innocence of the people in the world, including the indigenous people here who lived in that spirit and who 
In other words, the, the, that simple witness of Christ has always been the most persistent opponent of the Church of Rome slash the corporatocracy slash antichrist, which is what we're all talking about today. So on that note, let's look at, first of all, at the political and economic aspects of what this thing is called the corporatocracy. Get my book, Memoirs of a Revolutionary. Go to page 53, chapter 3. It says, I'm going to read a little bit of this. The mask slips as the corporatocracy emerges, 1990 to 2000. Now, what happened during that decade was that power became consolidated into 150 mega corporations. And as a, a group called the uh, Corporate Watch for the Institute of Policy Studies in 2012 said, by 2000, 80% of the world's trade was dominated by 150 corporations. Of that, those corporations employed less than one-third of 1% 1 of the world's workforce. In other words, even by 10, 15 years ago, 99.7% of the world's workforce had become redundant. They weren't necessary anymore for the big boys, the big mega corporations. So what does that mean? In a world where the labor force becomes redundant, yeah, you're going to have a massive wipeout of that remaining labor force. And people have talked about sterilization programs, vaccines, depopulation methods. It's not just because of a bunch of bad guys wanting to hurt us. It's because it's what the multinational economic system now requires. The working class has become redundant, so let's get rid of it. Well, that last decade in the 20th century witnessed the kind of revolution we didn't expect. It, capitalism burst the constraints of national boundaries and democracy and created this thing called the corporatocracy. Now, what that is, it's a mega state. It was first pioneered by Italian and German fascism during the 1920s and 30s. It took big money and fused it with the state, abolishing all parliamentary democracy, civil liberties. It was all based on a Catholic social doctrine where you had one pope, one emperor, like in China. That's why Vatican and China are such natural bed buddies. One ruler over everybody else, and everybody does what they're told. You had that in the uh, dictators Mussolini and Hitler. But ironically, they weren't defeated at the end of World War II because even though they were militarily, the spirit and their practice of their system metastasized and infected the world. The Nazi model, fascist corporatist model, was so successful, it was finally adopted by all the Western powers after World War II, in, you know, including their permanent war economy, which kept the fuel of capitalism going for all during the post-war years. But... What happened was that in the 1990s, it was a, a watershed. That system reached its limits. The, the 1980s was, if you recall, those who are old enough, was this era of massive privatization where suddenly all these public assets were bought up and privatized by Reagan and Thatcher and the whole regime. Well, that was a preparatory move whereby multinational money was trying to brainwash everyone to think that private interest is the same as public interest. And... It wasn't just an enormous wealth grab. It was to psychologically and politically program everyone to accept their absolute rule of private corporate interests over public interest and over all of society. In other words, laying the basis of what we got now. The corporatocracy, big pharma says, hey, our profits are down. Everybody's got to get the shot. So every government and politician in the world lines up and says, yes, we must all get shots. Well, guess who's on, every, on their payroll? There is no government. There is no independence anymore. We all know that. We all experience it every day. That's why we have to understand what we're up against, the source of it, the roots of it. So we're not just whacking away at branches on the limb, but striking at the root. 
Sun Tzu says that in The Art of War. He says, you're going to lose every battle unless you know your enemy and know yourself. We're going to talk about ourselves in the second half of the show. Right now, we're talking about the, the enemy, the external enemy we're up against. Now, um, 1990s, switch to the corporatocracy. Multinational system didn't need the state anymore. It didn't need to rule through its puppet politicians. It could rule directly now. And um, that's why the, the new world order brought in by the corporatocracy realized that they needed to rule people's minds directly. And that's why a lot of the experiments, as we've talked about in the, all of our evidence at murderbydecree.com of the genocide in residential schools, a lot of the reason for that there and in the Indian hospitals was as a big experiment. They needed to try out new methods of mind control and mass behavior modification so they could eventually try it on the whole population. That was the purpose of all the, the MKUltra research during the 50s, 60s, 70s, right up to the present. And as part of that, there was this thing called the Human Genome Project. And in the late 90, 1990s, it said, we're going to map and manipulate the entire genetic makeup of the human race. And they succeeded. By 2003, they had all of our genes mapped. They knew exactly how to manipulate the human race after that. Because for a monolithic corporate system to survive, usually monolithic, monolithic systems break down. You know, you saw that with fascism and corporatism in, in Europe. They only lasted 12 or 20 years. Because when you got one guy at the top, it's not a stable system. Energy, spirit, nature all moves in cyclical, equal ways. Water tends to run down to the bottom. Things tend to equalize out. Pyramids, hierarchies are non-natural. So the more you have hierarchy and, and absolute control, the more you need regimentation of the people. And so eventually, as is happening right now as we speak, Everyone's minds are abolished and they become integrated units in a big machine. They become machine minds. And that's the purpose of iPads. It's the purpose of regimenting the next generation into think, seeing all of reality through a little screen. But it's a biological change as well um, in that literally conscious is now being directly controlled and manipulated in a way that we couldn't have imagined 20, 30, 40 years ago. Now, the whole context of this is what has been called bureaucratic collectivism. It's a new kind of society, of course. That's another name for fascism. And in that system, it's, you know, epitomized by what is happening in China and the Vatican, as we've talked about. The whole point of this is that capitalism had a tendency to boom and bust all the time. It would have big cycles of expansion and then collapse, especially in a competitive global system where all these powers fighting each other for markets, for resources, to control the currencies. But now capitalism has reinvented itself. It's undone its most basic mechanism of growth and competition in the interest of a singular ruling class that is now on the verge of governing the whole world. And like I say, they do that through extreme regimentation and repression and mind control. But also it's a big shift from where the power used to lie in the West, in Europe and North America to Asia. And we know that obviously for a fact now because um, three quarters of all the economic growth in the world happens, guess where? South Asia, in the Indo-Pacific region, between Saudi Arabia, through India, Southeast Asia, down into the Indonesian belt and up into China. That's where it's all happening now. That's where this uh, big infrastructure that the Vatican is funding is all being built to link the roads. An interesting fact, in Central Asia, 
94% of the, the trade happening with those countries is coming from outside. It's not even among Asian countries. So China realizes they've got to become the new hub of the world. Like all roads used to lead to Rome and then London and then New York. Now they're all going to lead to Beijing, but you need the roads and the infrastructure to get it all there, to pump out the liquid natural gas from British Columbia, and the oil from North America, the uranium, the water, all of that, it's got to be find a way to get there. And that's why all of their effort now is built, building up into this infrastructure. And you just follow what's going on in South Asia and you'll see what's going on. Now, I want to get into more of that. Uh, but one thing I really want to emphasize here is that the system we're dealing with is blood-soaked. It came into the world filled with blood, war, genocide, and it maintains itself that way. The war in the Ukraine is no accident. It's the playing out of not just three power you know, blocks, Russia, America, China, like George Orwell predicted in 1984. It's all come true. But that system is driven by war and military spending. It always has been. And for now, it's the best way, you see, kind of in a nutshell, mini economic lesson here. Capitalism has a lot of excess capital lying around all the time. There's a tendency of over or under consumption. It makes too much stuff for people to produce. Then you have slumps, depressions, inflation, all that other garbage. So what do you do with the excess capital? Well, traditionally, that's why you had empires. They would export that capital abroad. They'd buy up colonies. They'd create little colonies like Canada, where they ship up the resources and ship in the markets uh, or the goods into controlled markets. That's the kind of system that, that, that why we had imperialism in colonies. You had to ship out the excess capital. What did we do with the excess capital? What did the system rather do with the excess capital in the 20th century? They had the permanent arms economy. You had the Cold War. You had weapons constantly being produced and destroyed. It's a capitalist dream, you know, that continual demand, supply and demand. It was all about that, right? Com continual demand for goods. Well, that reaches a point, but then in a global system, um, war itself doesn't, isn't needed as much as the control of that wealth, that, that war by a single power. And that's what you see happening. So war is going to continue, only now it's going to be under the aegis of China and its Vatican funders, Vatican bank funders. So I thought it was, yeah, we're going to take a little break now, but we're going to listen to a clip from uh, a speech, actually, it was uh, done with Howard Zinn, who is an American radical historian, and the actor, Tim Robbins, who, who's going to be reading this. It's from a speech made by a guy called Eugene Debs, who was head of the Populist Party in America. It was kind of an alliance of workers and farmers around the early 20th century that was going up against the big money Democrat and Republican parties. And he made a speech about the nature of war. And it got him thrown in prison for a number of years. Actually, he ran for U.S. president from prison and got 3 million votes um, in 1920. But he made this speech, and I want you all to listen to it, because that system a century ago has never changed. We're going to listen to that, and we'll be back after that. After Woodrow Wilson had been elected president on a pledge that he would not go to war, uh, the United States declared war and entered the sort of slaughterhouse going on in Europe. Socialists oppose this. The socialist leader, Eugene Debs, in uh, June of 1918, made a speech in Canton, Ohio, uh, ab about the war. He was uh, sent to prison uh, for 10 years, uh, approved by a unanimous Supreme Court. This is the speech that led to his imprisonment. 
Sam Johnson declared that patriotism is the last refuge of the scoundrel. He must have had the Wall Street gentry in mind, <laughs> or at least their prototypes, for in every age it has been the tyrant, the oppressor, and the exploiter who has wrapped himself in the cloak of patriotism or religion or both to deceive and overawe the people. Every solitary one of these aristocratic conspirators and would-be murderers claims to be an arch-patriot. Every one of them insists that the war is being waged to make the world safe for democracy. What humbug. What rot. What false pretense. Wars throughout history have been waged for conquest and plunder. In the Middle Ages, where the feudal lords concluded to enlarge their domains, to increase their power, their prestige, and their wealth, they declared war upon one another. But they themselves did not go to war any more than the modern feudal lords, the barons of Wall Street, go to war. The feudal barons of the Middle Ages, the economic predecessors of the capitalists of our day, declared all wars, and their miserable serfs fought all the battles. The poor, ignorant serfs had been taught to revere their masters, to believe that when their masters declared war upon one another, it was their patriotic duty to fall upon one another and to cut one another's throats for the profit and the glory of the lords and barons who held them in contempt. And that is war in a nutshell. The master class has always declared the wars. The subject class has always fought the battles. The master class had everything to gain and nothing to lose, while the subject class has had nothing to gain and everything to lose, especially their lives. They have always taught you and trained you to believe it to be your patriotic duty to go to war and to have yourself slaughtered at their command. But in all the history of the world, the people have never had a voice in declaring war. And strange as it certainly appears, no war by any nation in any age has ever been declared by the people. The working class who fight all the battles, the working class who make the supreme sacrifices, the working class who freely shed their blood and furnish the corpses, have never yet had a voice in either declaring war or making peace. It is the ruling class that invariably does both. They alone declare war and they alone make peace. Yours not to reason why, yours just to do or die. 
That is their motto, and we object on the part of the awakening workers of this nation. If war is right, let it be declared by the people. Now, the war that's upon us, the war of the people in response. I mean, you know, we're raised with the idea that if you obey the rules and pay your taxes and just are nice, then the system will be nice back to you. That's one of the problems of, uh, you know, <laughs> a lot of us is that we tend to project our light on the system. All we can see is one scale of the dragon. We don't understand that the very system that we love and have been raised in and can't help but be part of in our own mind has been soaked in blood from the beginning. I mean, we, you know, what's an amazing about this whole story folks and shifting for a moment from all of the external horrible stuff into very personal stuff, which we need to do to survive this madness. When I began to uh, learn all this stuff at a very young age, I mean, I was always inquisitive and wondering what the hell's going on. Why couldn't I ride on the bus with my Indian friends in Winnipeg without being told that he had to get off? Because there was segregation, of course, in the 1960s and 70s. You couldn't ride on ferries together if you're an Indian in Canada with a white person. They had to, the natives, my friend Delmar Johnny said that down in the, uh, the hold of the ferries, the BC ferries, that's where you stood if you're an in, in Indian. Right up to the 1980s, they were still doing that. But, you know, as a kid, you know there's something wrong, but you're, you're always being told, well, it's not up to you to question. What are you going to do? Those people in power know much better than you. They've got a lot more experience. So we're all conditioned to play along with this, this garbage. When we realize what we've been part of, suddenly we can't be part of it anymore. And in a way, not violently, but in a very determined way, we declare war against what we're up against. We say, I can't be part of this anymore. We've had an experience of doing that for a lot of years. And I always want to share lessons of that with folks but i mean you know the the brutal truth about human beings is we don't learn from others we may think we're learning but it never sticks it only sticks when it happens to us and often by by then it's way too late <laughs> that's the tragedy so you know the, the the truth here is that even before the republic was formed in 2015 we made numerous attempts to stop these crimes always the same thing always the same problem in the case of the hard proof that children are being killed and thrown on the ground, the churches were completely exonerated by the court system. And at that point, everybody who campaigned for so many years said, well, what can we do? The courts and government have said it's not a crime, so I guess it isn't a crime. And they went away and, you know, so many friends I had, so many people involved in this just collapsed at that point. They all withdrew, said there's nothing you can do. But those of us who didn't get up said, yeah, there is something we can do, and that is get out of this system and build something different. That's our only alternative now, because if it happened to the Indians, it's going to happen you, to you tomorrow. And guess what, folks? Those special passes they need to get on and off reservation? What do you think the vaccine passport is? The law in Canada since 1874 is saying you had to get a shot if you lived on a reservation. And if you didn't, and if you refuse medical treatment, you're in jail. Well, I don't know what basis we have to say it's a problem now what's happening to us when we let it happen to all our neighbors for countless decades. We really don't have a basis in a moral sense to object now. We funded it. We went along with it. Now we've got to reap the consequence. And that's, I find in life, a sign of maturity is when you accept the consequences of your own choices. Let me repeat that. Accepting the consequence of your own choices is maturity. 
It means not blaming other people, not blaming Justin Trudeau, not blaming the Pope. All these people are just maggots on the system. They're created by it, but it's a system we created and funded and keep supporting. And every time we try to build an assembly, here's another example. We said, okay, let's get out of the system. Let's have our own laws. Let's pass our assembly. It's all our inherent natural right to do that. Everyone admits that in the abstract. Then when you try to do it, it's kind of like the parable where Jesus says, oh, well, people are called, many are called, but very few come. People say, oh, I had, sorry, I had stew cooking. I can't come, Jesus, on the, on the great journey. Oh, sorry, I've got somebody at home to take care of. And all the excuses start and people drop away. Often they use blame as the excuse. Well, if only you had have acted in a different way, Kevin. If only the system you know, had it done this or blah, blah, blah. There's always a reason why people don't take responsibility for their own choices of not carrying the struggle through. And so we have to look at that. This is not sour grape speaking. This is just cold, hard experience speaking. And so I put it to all of you listening. How are we ever going to come overcome the system unless we take risks? But risks don't happen unless somebody breaks the ice. And we've already started that process. What we've had to do in response to this, as so many assemblies start up and then collapse, not primarily due to sabotage, although on the West Coast, the Chinese invasion made sure that none of our six assemblies on Vancouver Island lasted more than a few months. We know that from a fact from the people who were approached by the Maoris and others. So in certain areas, yes, we're attacked and taken down easily because we're just a new baby trying to walk. New seeds in the ground that can be easily ripped up. Most other places, people self-sabotage. They took down the assemblies themselves. They just didn't want to do it, and they found reasons not to. So instead, what we realize now, being in a state of war, having waited too long historically to start this, because this counter-movement, this republic, this revolutionary opposition should have started back in the 60s and 70s. But because it's starting now in the midst of a war, we have to operate under conditions of war. Our whole movement now, whether here or around the world, and we urge this for people forming republics all over the world, do not set up assemblies, do not hold public events, build underground cell structures, build cell groups of three people that start doing the work. Now, the good thing about being a cell is that you can strike out of the darkness and fade back again. It's like in a guerrilla war. You use all the advantages of the system to help you and to defeat them because you're up against a huge adversary that doesn't know where you're going to strike. And they're clumsy. It's kind of like Goliath against David. You know, uh, it's it it doesn't work for them to use their methods against us because we can outsmart them and outmaneuver them because there's just we have the advantage of creativity and independence that they don't have. So we need to set up these cell structure systems to oppose what what is going on, and that's what we're actively focusing on now. We're setting up two kinds of cells. And this is addressed to those of you who are listening, who are already part of our movement, who may have had doubts and dropped away for a while. We trust you'll be back um, when circumstances allow, one way or the other. But this is an important point because the two, two kinds of action cells we're forming, there's two. There's an assembly cell and an action cell. The assembly cell is the seed of the future assembly. You get three people together, you start recruiting you educate them about the principles of the Republic. You start doing little projects. You start, you know, educating the community. You issue the stand on orders to crown officials. You do all the necessary things to lay the foundation. When you get four of those cell groups together, you've got 12 people. You can then create an assembly on a durable basis, a more durable basis than when you get just 12 strangers together and try to do it. The other kind of cell is 
the more covert kind. And let's be honest, you need it. You need covert action cells. When they start hauling people away, when they start doing more overt things, you got to find people who are willing to take the action to stop it and to defend our communities. This is the seed of our future army, our future republic. Sheriffs are like any state, any nation needs. We've got to know how to defend ourselves. The right to bear arms isn't some wild-eyed you know, demand by somebody who wants an AK-47. No, it was written right in the US Constitution. And the wording in the Constitution on the right to bear arms is very important. Jefferson and Franklin and all the others believed in natural law. They said it's natural law for people to defend themselves and defend your life, defend your children against everyone, including and starting with the state, which has no natural claim on your, your liberty. It just imposes that allegiance and loyalty onto us. So the right to bear arms is really the right to defend ourselves as a community. That's why the wording in the amendment of the Constitution says recognizing the right of a, a militia. They use that word. In other words, it isn't just individuals fighting the system with arms, which the system likes to call terrorism. And by definition, a terrorist is somebody not working for the state. Uh, a patriot is somebody fighting and killing on behalf of the state. Then you get a medal. If you fight for yourself, you're a terrorist or you're working for the other their, their enemy. The community gets together and defends itself as a militia. That's what the, the action cell is. It forms the seed of the future militia and the army of the Republic of Canada, which we need to defend our communities. Let's be really clear and honest about that upfront. So two different kinds of cells. The kinds of people in an assembly cell are anybody. Action cells are young, single people. We can't have married people. We can't have people with other family commitments because those are the first to fall away. Anybody, here's my experience, anybody with um, a family, with a lot of property, with a lot of vested interest in the system, with kids, they can use all that as an excuse to drop away, and they always do. They tend to be the ones who take down the assemblies. Um, but it's the single, unattached people, young people we need. And in fact, we have those people where they're already undergoing training. We have ex-military, we have police serving, present serving military and police who are working with us to build up these action cells and the future militias because that's the only way we're going to survive the corporatocracy. People don't understand the deadliness of the system. I do because it's destroyed my life and killed my, my friends, including sometimes in front of me. And the only reason I'm still alive is they don't want to mar martyr. I'm so well known that if they kill me, it just attracts more attention and support. But that's not written in stone. Anything can happen to us at any point. And this is the thing to realize, folks, to get rid of these, these fears we have. And here's the thing. We always talk about fear and courage. That isn't the issue. It's about selfishness or selflessness. When you're raised in an atomized, narcissistic, selfish culture like ours, naturally, you're going to be afraid all the time. You've got afraid of what you might lose, afraid of who and what you might lose. Traditional indigenous cultures, including our own back in Europe, didn't worry about that. They were always thinking of we, the community. How do we defend the community? How do we defend our children? I had a trip down in, um, actually, I'm going to read you a little bit about that because it's a reflection I did. But I went down to a um, refugee camp for the Mayan Indians in Chiapas in the late 1980s. And those people were the poorest people I'd ever met. There were 100 children dying every from rickets, malnutrition nutrition, tough dysentery, all of the deadly illnesses, yet none of them ever left. 
loved. They all stood by one another. They died for one another because, as one of them said, in our community, the leader is the one who's the poorest one because he gives himself every day to the people and he doesn't think about himself. Well, that's not a very accurate description in Canada. It's quite the opposite. As a matter of fact, remember when I came back from the refugee camp to Canada, I felt like I'd come back to a dead zone. I felt like I'd come back to a very impoverished people who didn't know how to love and sacrifice for each other. I'd never met that I, since then. In the 35 years since then, I haven't met that kind of love and devotion in anyone. The most educated, the, you know, the, the people with all the resources in the world on their side, they never have an ounce of that in them because they lack something. They lack that soul. And when you're talking about God and everything, you know, I love that line from uh, The Grapes of Wrath, Tom Joad, when he say his mother's worried about him, you know, what might happen to him. He goes off to help organize the sh sharecroppers and the, the Okies on the road against the police beating them up all the time and the landowners. And his mother said, what, what might happen to you? I don't know what's going to happen to you if you leave. And Tom Joad says, it doesn't matter, Mom, because a man's got no soul of his own, but just a little piece of the big soul that's everybody. And we need to remember that, folks. Don't worry about what's going to happen to you. You're going to die one day. All of us are. The question is, how are you going to die? Are you going to creep around holding on to everything you got? Or are you going to die for your neighbors in a thing that's going to build something that's going to prevent this oppression that's coming down the pipe? And that's the purpose of organizing now these action cells, assembly cells. You want to get on board, write to us, Republic National Council at protonmail.com, and I mean that to anybody anywhere in the world, because we now have affiliates in 11 countries. On July 31st, next weekend, we're having our long-delayed international conference of people from all these groups to coordinate how we fight the corporatocracy on the ground. Look past your community and country, because they're oblivious now anyway. They're ir irrelevant. They're redundant in the face of this global monster we face. We have to build up our local alternatives to that and eventually our known republics our own republics. That's the way we fight this thing. So write to Republic National Council at protonmail.com. Look over Republic of Kanata at, I'm sorry, Republic, www.republicofkanata.org. Got too many sites to remember. Murderbydecree.com. All of the background info you need is there. That's how we're going to build this alternative. And that's something that if we don't do now, we're going to pay the price. That's really our answer to everything I talked about earlier. You know, this week when you're tempted to throw up watching Jorge Bagoglio go through his I am Christ routine, the man with blood on his hands from Argentina and from Ninth Circle ceremonies he personally presides at. When you're watching that, think, you know, he doesn't matter. He's ultimately a figurehead. He's a puppet of this dark ruler of the world who stands behind all the, the veil of matter and appearance and who's manipulating all the world rulers. What we're witnessing is the shifting of that satanic world order from one host body to another. The new host is the Vatican slash Chinese corporatocracy, which is the new power in the world. They're the enemy externally. And that's what we have to be organized across all our differences to fight against, especially here in North America, because we're needed for all the resources. China is in the process of sucking us dry. They've immobilized the status quo. The politicians are on their payroll. It's up to us, all of us, to do it. So when you hear this, I don't want you to go away and think about it. I want you to write to us. Because if you go away and just think about it, you'll find 100 reasons not to do anything. You have an obligation right in there in your community to do something about it. And if you don't, 
don't come to us and complain a year from now when it's coming down on you. Republicofcanada.org. Read up, write to us, Republic National Council at protonmail.com. And in the few minutes left, I want to uh, go over something that's pretty important, one of our other books, Whistleblower Manual. You have to understand that what we're dealing with is not anything you've ever had experience with. It's called the corporate structure. And while you may have daily contact with it, it's something you can't relate to because as a human being, there's nothing in your paradigm that explains this. You see, the corporate structure is designed to foster and inflame evil and normalize it. Its hierarchical structure allows evil to be concentrated at the commanding heights of the system and percolate down there to every level of the system. That's a compartmentalized structure that allows people to operate in their daily lives, be part of a group evil, even though they don't know they're, they're part of it. You're just doing your little bit, but you don't understand the machine you're in is running roughshod over the whole planet and killing people every day. That corporation has only two values. It doesn't have humanity. It doesn't have due process or the rule of law or any of the things that we expect and naively expect it to deliver to us. It's only got two values, maximum efficiency and perpetuating itself. And if you get in the way of either of those things, it'll run you down and destroy you, as I've experienced. Now, I really urge you to go into the uh, whistleblower manual and look on page 50. It's called Knowing Your Adversary, How to Outmaneuver It. Because it's so big, it may seem to be omnipotent, and that's the key to its power. It frightens everybody into going along with it. In fact, it has no power on the ground. It's just people operating behind the big mask, little guy behind the big mask. And it carries a group lie that everybody is part of. And here's a, a quote from a guy called Saul Alinsky. He was a, a community organizer in Chicago. And he said, anyone can see through a lie unless he has need of that lie. Everything you have ever been, been taught about how society runs is a lie that only serves the interests of a wealthy and invisible few. Your job is to help people think, which begins by helping them realize that their own minds have been betrayed. Their own minds have betrayed them because their minds are not their own. They belong to the minds of other people in which they've been trapped. People will break out from that trap only by getting kicked in the teeth enough times by the system and having the courage and the clarity to learn for themselves what's really going on and what's really true and what's really false. That's not something that can be taught to them by anybody else, by anything else besides their own experience and the ability to understand and own your own experience. And that's the last bit I want to end on. We have a lot of experiences in life. We don't understand them because the old mindset rationalizes it away. Oh, yeah, I got tossed out of my job, but I'll just get another one. Oh, yeah, well, they're making me take the shot, but, you know, it's for my own good, maybe. Or even the more, quote, awake ones who say, yeah, I understand what they're doing now, but don't ask me to actually do something about it besides hold a sign at a protest and go away and back to my old life. No, that old mindset is what betrays us. And so... We can't understand our own experience until we've suffered from it. And then we have to have an alternative. It's a material necessity. People only change when they have to. That's human beings. And they, when they change, they go back, try to get back to what they had. But the reality is, and here's the final thing I want to leave with you. There's a difference between doing something because out of a good intention and doing something because your life depends on it. 
my life is dependent on this work for years. I will die if I don't do this work because I'm under the gun. I'm in the major target hairs of the system. I have to do this or I and other people will die. That's not the situation most people feel themselves in. And so they can take it or leave it. They can take this Republic of Canada or leave it. They can walk away from it and feel they're safe. And they probably will be safe for a little while longer until it hits them. And then it'll be too late. So when your life depends on something, when you know your life depends on it, then you get on board. Then you start fighting back. And guess what, folks? At that point, you're unbeatable. And those are the people I'm looking for. And we as a republic are looking for all over the world. Not the people who come and go. Not the ones who will be back in a year or two. The ones now who suffered so much that they know their life will, is on the line and they'll die if they don't take action. Those are the ones who are our leadership. We're forming those people into leadership cadre. The organizers who will lead the rest. And those are the ones who we're working with now. If you're not in that space, don't bother contacting us right now. And I mean that honestly. I don't mean that belligerently. I'm being honestly. If you're not willing to take that step, don't bother contacting us. We're winning out the wheat from the chaff and finding those people willing to take that action because they're the hope of the future. Ending on a quote from Ernest Hemingway in A Farewell to Arms, the world breaks everyone and afterward many are strong at the broken places. But those that will not break, it kills. It kills the very good and the very gentle and the very brave impartially. If you are none of these things, you can be sure it'll kill you too, but there'll be no special hurry. So a final reminder, folks, that this program has been focusing a lot on this in the last little while because we're in an encroaching state of emergency, especially in the fall. We'll go into that in future shows, but the important thing is not to learn something in the abstract, it's to get involved, because the only way you learn is through action. One experience is better than a month's book learning or what you learn on the internet. An experience doesn't lie. Your own experience doesn't lie. We've got to bring you first into action. We don't get people together to have a talk shop. We've done away with that. Because when you get 10 people in a room, you'll have 10 different ver versions of reality and 10 reasons why they should or shouldn't do something. You don't have unity. When 10 people go through an experience and get hit on the head together and understand what they're up against, then they know what to do. Um, there was that old Russian proverb, uh, people react differently to a tickle, but always the same to a burnt iron. When the, that repression comes down on us, we know exactly what we need to do. And that's why action is the measure of all things now. We need to bring people into action together so they can learn from that experience what they're up against and what they need to do. That's in a nutshell how we're ending the show today. I hope you found the earlier information useful, but ultimately... Don't believe what you read from anybody. Go from what you know yourself. Common sense, experience, and whatever higher power you believe in. The higher power is actually not above us at all. It's within us, as good old Jesus reminded us all the time. The uh, closing song is a very good one. It's from Phil Oaks, a uh, singer, folk singer from the uh, 60s who was murdered in 1975, but spirit lives on in this song. He says, um, you better do what you do now if you're going to do anything do it now because you don't have a lot of time left and i know that now at age 66 having been in this battle since my early 30s i know that that's true so be inspired by the song murderbydecree.com republicofcanada.org write to us republican council at protonmail.com we're back here again live next week hopefully with more people in the different republic alliance groups until then stay strong stay clear and do it now 
There's no place in this world where I'll belong when I'm gone. And I won't know the right from the wrong when I'm gone. And you won't find me singing on this song when I'm gone. So I guess I'll have to do it while I'm here. And I won't feel the flowing of the time when I'm gone. All the pleasures of love will not be mine when I'm gone. My pen won't pour a lyric line when I'm gone. So I guess I'll have to do it while I'm here. And I won't breathe the bracing air when I'm gone. And I can't even worry about my cares when I'm gone. Won't be asked to do my share when I'm gone. So I guess I'll have to do it while I'm here. And I won't be running from the rain when I'm gone. And I can't even suffer from the pain when I'm gone. Can't say who's to praise and who's to blame when I'm gone. So I guess I'll have to do it while I'm here. Won't see the golden of the sun when I'm gone. And the evenings and the mornings will be one when I'm gone. Can't be singing louder than the guns while I'm gone. So I guess I'll have to do it while I'm here. All my days won't be dances of delight when I'm gone. And the sands will be shifting from my sight when I'm gone. Can't add my name into the fight while I'm gone. So I guess I'll have to do it while I'm here. And I won't be laughing at the lies when I'm gone. And I can't question how or when or why when I'm gone. Can't live proud enough to die when I'm gone. So I guess I'll have to do it while I'm here. There's no place in this world where I'll belong when I'm gone, and I won't know the right from the wrong when I'm gone. And you won't find me singing on this song when I'm gone. So I guess I'll have to do it. I guess I'll have to do it. Guess I'll have to do it while I'm here.